0: As you follow Jesus, you're going to have those moments where God gives you opportunity to do something you said, I'm not sure I could do it, but he sure seems to be pushing me that direction, and as a result, two things will happen. Number one, you'll get involved with it, and you'll say, I was built for this, and then secondly, you'll realize I'm influencing people and impacting them, and it's making life change in them. That's what happened to Wayne and Diane Tesh, who in 1985 started a camp to take in in their area of Southern California some of the most severe cases of abuse in the foster care system and created a camp for them called World Family Kids Camp. Five years later, they realized that more of these camps were needed throughout the United States, and so they incorporated and began to have this vision of of establishing camps throughout United States and then eventually into the world and I want to tell you last year they served 8400 campers in 180 camps in the US and 20 internationally and children's lives have been changed and so we are so glad that Wayne is here with us this morning one of the co-founders of Royal Family Kids Camp would you please welcome him
1: yes good morning what a privilege it is to be here with all this uh, sunshine you have I come from California, I'm accustomed to the sunshine, but the cold just, oh, I can't handle that. I've been here since Thursday, and I've been shivering ever since. Uh, I don't know how you people survive. I just don't know how that happens. But here in Erie, it's such a privilege to be here. Jack and I go back a ways. We, we're shirt-tailed cousins, but um, he doesn't like to acknowledge that many times, but I love to acknowledge it for him because I think it's really great that I'm a cousin to Jack Reisner Uh, Joel, Tiffany good job but thanks for your heart Uh, when we start out doing something we don't realize what God does I like the expression that um, uh, Robert Coleman uses he says when your past and your future collide in the present you know that it's your purpose and plan to serve God and that's what happens when we follow God. He takes all the stuff we've done in our past, he sees our future, and he allows us to work towards that in the present. A person asked me a question yesterday, how do you keep your passion going? It's because there's a future, there's a hope, there's something that happens deep inside, and it's just a privilege to be part of uh, what God is doing, helping children, in the foster care system. We work with children, children who've been thrown up against walls and locked in closets. Children who hide under their beds in fear and whose nightmares are real. Children who have been beaten with two by fours, whipped with bicycle chains, and burned with cigarette butts. And for one week in the cathedral of the outdoors, surrounded by God's people, the seeds of hope and healing are planted deep within their heart and soul, and God begins to do something in their lives. I was telling Jack the other day that out of the first 37 kids that have come to Royal Family in 1985, we know where 24 of them are because they contact us. That's because that seed that has been planted begins to grow and it becomes nurtured and it makes a huge difference in people's lives. Yes, that secret about what happens, it's so biblical. When you give, you receive. And when you give of your time, God takes that time and puts it in your heart and in your mind. He does something in you that you are no longer the same when you begin to serve because Jesus, is a person that loves to transform us into His image. And we begin to do that when we take up a towel and we serve. So, royal family, we have 215 camps going on this summer. We're pretty excited about that. We'll have over 7,500 kids involved in this summer. Um, We'll have 11,500 adults involved. And the 7,500 children represent 6% of all the children in foster care in the nation between the ages of 6 and 12. When we started, we only had 37. But now we have 6% of all the kids in foster care between those ages involved in camps in 37 states and 11 foreign countries. And this is what I really love. This is where God does his great work. We're in 26 different church denominations. Now you know that's God when that begins to happen. So, turn with me to one of my favorite scripture verses, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. I just love this passage. Everybody has, when they do things with the Lord, you have a certain passage that just is your signature. It's what God has given to you, and this is what God's given to me for the ministry of royal family. Mark chapter two. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, hmm... Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Now, you have to imagine with me on this one. There was a knock at the door and there's four men on the outside and a voice within says, come on in. They walk in and they say, friend, guess what? Jesus is in town. And where Jesus is, some great things begin to happen. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, and yes, the lame can walk. And we're taking you to Jesus. So they picked him up on his stretcher, on his mat. And they go down those narrow, dirty streets of Capernaum. And as they come to the house where Jesus is, it's packed with people. Now, Jack, this isn't in Scripture, but uh, you just have to imagine with me. What would you do? I would imagine they'd put him down. The four of them had a little holy huddle together and said, hmm, what are we going to do? And one of them said, why don't we take him up on the roof? That would be so much fun, wouldn't it? So they come back and I say, guess what, friend? We're taking you up on the roof. And I imagine his response, though this isn't in scripture, I imagine his response was, the roof! There is a little trembling taking place. He had never been up there before. It's outside his comfort zone. So, The four guys pick him up. And what I love about coming back to the East Coast is where I'm from, we have what what are called California Ranch-style homes. Everything's on one story, but oh, you guys, you have two stories. You know what that's like when you have to carry a mattress up to the second floor. There's a slight little angle. Can you imagine the poor, lame guy hanging on for dear life? It's a white-knuckle ride for him. As they go up the stairs, they get up there and they put them down and they probably say, now what are we going to do? So they have a little holy huddle again, they get together and they say, hmm, why don't we dig a hole in the roof? So they come back and say, friend, don't worry about this, we've got everything under control. So they begin to dig a hole in the roof. Now I've often wondered, this is in the scripture, but I've often wondered what it would be like to be preaching when people are digging a hole in the roof above your head. Pretty soon, dust begins to descend on Jesus's head like snow, and you know what that's like. It just keeps coming down. Pretty soon, some great big dirt clogs begin to fall. And Jesus, being Jesus, Jesus, I know, he moves because he knows what's going on, and he's not going to get hit with the big ones that are coming down. I imagine that the people out there while listening to Jesus, as he's pouring out his heart to them. They're probably looking up and saying, I've never seen anything like that before. Somebody's making a hole in the roof and Jesus is still preaching. What's going on here? And I've often wondered, this isn't in scripture either, but I've often wondered, how big of a hole do you make in a roof to let a man come down through? Do you let him come down vertically? Do you let him come down horizontally? They could have just dropped him. He was going to be healed anyways, but they didn't know that at the time. They didn't know that at the time. So they lowered the mat. The man was lying on, and he comes face to face with Jesus. And there's something powerful that takes place when you come into the presence of Jesus. And the searchlight of the Spirit of God begins to go into our hearts and minds and we begin to say, wow, something is happening inside of my heart. I feel clean. I feel refreshed. I feel renewed. Something is taking place now because when you're in Jesus' presence, great things begin to happen. And Jesus takes care of first things first. He says, my son... Your sins are forgiven. But that you may know that I'm the Son of Man, I say unto you, arise. Arise from your past. Arise from your pain. Arise from a mindset that has you so paralyzed that you can't comprehend nor understand the goodness that God has for you. Arise. One of the things that I went to college for is to learn how Children can grow up to become adults. And I mean, you spend a lot of time learning how all that happens. And I've often wondered uh, what happened to this man as he was growing up. He became the adult. And I'm looking at that situation as an adult, saying, I wonder what was in his past. I wonder what was taking place in his life. Because as a child, you're somewhat oblivious to what goes around you, and what is normal isn't necessarily normal to everyone, it's just normal to you. So if you come from a background of abuse, that seems normal, because that's what you know. And as you grow up, you begin to take the stuff with you as you walk through life. And Jesus doesn't want that. He wants you to be set free. And when he said, my son, your sins are forgiven, something deep inside of this man, I'm sure connected with the love of Jesus Christ and his grace. And he was like an artesian well, I would imagine, in that when you experience something of freedom that takes place from your past, you become a new person in Christ Jesus. The chains that have held you down. He comes and he clips and snips and you become a person that can stand up and know that Jesus is there with you. The old has passed away. Behold all things are new. When I drove from Cleveland to Erie on I-90, it's what i notice a lot of adults do who have come from backgrounds of abuse as you're driving through life many adults become fixated on the rearview mirror and you you see where you've been you see what happened in the past and that gives you somewhat of a direction in your mind for the future. But if you drive through life always looking in your rearview mirror, you're going to crash. You're going to be off in the ditch. You can't go forward by looking backwards all the time. And what happens to literally thousands of people who come from backgrounds of abuse, they get stuck looking backwards instead of, understanding what Jesus has for us. He has a bright, glorious future. He has something incredible for us. And that's where he wants us to be, to be able to forget what's behind us. And we press forward to the high calling that Jesus has given to us. And when you begin to grasp that, you become a new person in Christ Jesus. Now, I've often wondered, as this man was beginning to stand up, probably a little weak-kneed at first as new blood started to pump to his extremities. I've often wondered, and this isn't in Scripture, I've often wondered, if you were one of the four guys, and you were looking down, and you saw your friend stand up, what would you do? Hey, man! After my own heart—that's what I do. Jump down through the hole in the roof, man. I'd land. I go up. My friend. I give him a great big bear hug, and I just say, "Wow, this is great! This is great!" I mean, because when you see and experience a miracle, it's like an artesian well—you can't control it. It just bubbles up. You can't say, "Oh, yeah, I've been healed by Jesus." No, I've been healed by Jesus. And there's something exciting that begins to take place. I'd even go up to Jesus and give him a high five and say, thank you, Jesus. Because that's what happens when you experience a miracle from God. It just keeps bubbling up. Now, this isn't scripture. The people that wouldn't let him come in, they opened up as he picked up the stretcher. And I imagine he put in a little New York strut. And he just went on home, feeling good. Now, I've often wondered, this isn't in Scripture either, but here's, I've often wondered, I've often wondered. uh, And I'm sure you have too, if you've really studied the story. Who fixed the hole in the roof? I've often wondered about that, because being a camp guy, you're always supposed to leave things better than what you found it. And going home without fixing the hole in the roof... I think it was, would be wrong. But I imagine that the next day, there's a knock at the door. And instead of a voice from within that says, come on in, instead there's a man that opens up the door. And instead of four men carrying a stretcher and walking down those narrow streets of Capernaum, there's now five. And instead of carrying the mat and the stretcher, what they're carrying are their toolkits. And instead of four men that walk up those steps, there's five that ascend those stairs. And there with fresh mud and palm fronds, they begin to repair that roof. And I imagine that the man that was healed by Jesus took his finger and wrote in that fresh mud, I came through the roof, was healed by Jesus, signed his name and uh, put the date, and someday some archaeologists just may find it. (laughs) Now, There are over 3 million reported cases of child abuse in America today, and they're lying on the stretcher. And the people here at Erie First Assembly, you have looked at the 79 children in the county here in Pennsylvania, and you said, we will carry these children to Jesus. You have demonstrated that you have picked up the stretcher And you brought them to Jesus because only Jesus can renew a mind. Only Jesus can uh, renew a heart. Only Jesus can set people free from their past. And the seeds that you plant are seeds that will fall on good ground. And these children will grow and develop and have the memories of a church, a body of people, in the cathedral of the outdoors, being able to share the love of Jesus Christ. That's what you do, you're stretcher bearers. You're taking people to Jesus to set them free. And it may be a long process that takes place, but it will happen. Do you know that over 90% of men and women on death row come from a background of abuse? you know that over 80% of the um, prostitutes in America today come from a background of abuse? Do you know that the sex trafficked girls and boys that are being used to be trafficked through the United States, 80 to 90% of them come from the foster care system? It is incredible what happens. And we as a church, you as a church, are making a difference. Because when you can bring some to Jesus, Jesus can set them free. He can give them a hope and a future. He cares so deeply about the children. He cares so deeply about the children. He said, let the little children come to me. He cares so much about them. Well, the royal family started in 1985 with 37 kids. And it was kind of interesting as we went through, I've, I learned a lot of things that took place. And one of the stories that I remember is I walked into the bank to set up the checking account for Royal Family Kids Camp, and the new account representative, Mary, said to me, she said, what is this for? And I said, I want you to know it's uh, it's for a camp for children in the foster care system who have had a tough time. She said, well, could my son go? And I was taken back. I said, well, tell me your story. And she said, I was married to a man who was bipolar and an alcoholic. And one day in a deep, deep depression, what he did was uh, he took my three boys into a warehouse in San Diego, and there he shot and killed my oldest son, shot and wounded the next two, and then committed suicide. And my six-year-old, is just having a tough time. He is highly medicated. He has nightmares. He spends three to four weeks in a hospital during the summer to try to work some things out. and uh, He just needs some help. I said, let him come to camp. came to camp that, that year. I went back in after camp was over to uh, the bank, and Mary says, Wayne, Wayne. Come here, I've got to share something. We got up and we went behind one of these glass offices in the bank, and she said, let me tell you what's happened since Brett has come home. He's a new kid. He's singing around the house like no one's ever, Well, he, I haven't heard him sing in years. He is not having nightmares. He's not wetting the bed. Something has happened in his life, and I want you to know, Um, the dimple, when he smiles. I haven't seen that dimple in three years. He's now smiling. Matter of fact, he said, Mom, we've got to go to church. And um, I said, oh, okay, we'll go to church. Why do you want to go to church? Because the people there love me, he said. People at church love me. So she gave him Sunday school money, and he went down to Sunday school. And Pastor Jack, this, this irks me. The Sunday school teacher wasn't there. Can you imagine someone that was making their first step into understanding God's love, going to a Sunday school class and the teacher wasn't there? So he comes up and sits next to his mom and they go to church. And afterwards, um, as they're going out of church, he said, uh, Brett said, Mom, could we we stop at 7-Eleven and have a Slurpee? So." He said yeah, so I pulled the van up and I got out. And he said, she said, as I was walking through the door, there's a man who was a homeless man lying in front of the door, and I literally walked around him and went into the store. And I'm looking back and I see my son come up to this homeless man and say, Mister, I used to be in bad shape too, but Jesus changed my life. He can change yours, and gave his offering. Then he looked at me and said, Mom, could we bring him home for dinner? Mary said, maybe some other time. (laughs) Maybe some other time. I had not seen Brent for 12, well, since he was 12. He's now 38. I get a phone call from him. He says, "Uh, Mr. Tesh, you don't know me, but... I'm Brett," and gave his last name. And uh, I said, I know you. You're one of three kids whose picture I have on my desk. I've been praying for you. There's a pause. He said, I've really messed up my life. I've uh, been involved in drugs. Drugs got a hold of me and I just flipped out. And I've been an alcoholic and matter of fact, I've been 40. Five days sober and I've been thinking I thought back to the days that were the happiest days of my life and I remembered the weeks of camp and I realized that the values that you taught at that camp are values that I need to have in my life now when I get off of this trip, Brett and I are going to sit down and have lunch again because that's what happens he's not where he should be but he's on that journey and he recognizes the power of Jesus because God's people were stretcher bearers and brought him to to an environment where Christ was supreme and reigned supreme. you sometimes wonder, does one week make a difference? Let me just, uh, this video that is coming up, it's called Three Sisters. Matter of fact, three weeks ago I had dinner with them and it's kind of interesting to watch what has taken place in their life. Uh, the joy that they have. They're not finished yet either, but God is with them. He is calling them. And the, the girl said to me, I don't know where we'd be without mom and dad and what they mean to us now. And you'll hear the story of three sisters. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: on the door it was the police and when they came in I was kind of scared I'm like "Um, what does this mean my dad started yelling and my mom started crying the scariest part was when they couldn't tell us what was happening but they were taking us in their cars they wouldn't let us talk to our mom and dad and ask what's going on and they just took us we did that a lot that's the last time we get to see them is when they put them in a the car
3: and leave. The first time I remember the, the girls coming to camp, bouncing off the bus, full of energy, full of smiles. They just ate up every part of camp. They loved the chapel, they loved singing, doing all the, the motions, the fishing. They just had a good time. When the girls came to camp, they found peace, they found love, they found a comfort, something that they hadn't experienced before. They connected with Jerry, my husband, just as soon as they got off the bus. There was like an instant bond or an instant connection there and they just pretty much stole his heart.
4: Right off, the three girls uh, just took up, took up with me.
2: I thought he was pretty cool and I kind of wish that he would be my dad.
4: You know, I never thought about the abuse and the neglect until I went to camp. It just really opened my eyes.
3: When it was time to say goodbyes, that's when it was very tough. They hugged on everybody. Just hated to go back.
4: After spending a week with them, I just, just couldn't let him go back. I just couldn't, couldn't stand the thought of them not having someone.
3: We just knew we had to do something to, to try to prevent them having to live that life in, in the system.
4: The judge allowed them to come live with us. It was a big day in our lives and theirs. Our church family and our royal family family <laughs> was all there in support of us
3: was starting over on every level, financially, with me quitting my job and going to one income. I know there's going to be struggles, but they have hope now. Sometimes when I'm in bed or something alone and it's quiet,
2: I think about how it worked out, where we all look alike, and we have, like, a perfect family. Sometimes it kind of feels like we are like, meant to be here, like it was all planned out. I think if God wasn't watching out for us, we would have never ended up here.
4: Used to, we would just have a quiet, quiet evening at home, and there are no quiet evenings at home longer. <laughs> three teenagers all living under one roof.
3: I can't imagine life without the three girls here now, because this is our life. But Royal Family prepared us for that.
4: I would love to see the girls go back to camp as counselors. I think they could share with the other kids what they've been through and that there is hope.
2: understand everything that these people give up to work here but I do now and I think I appreciate it more now than even as a camper.
3: Seeing them here this week running and smiling and happy it's almost like they've made it and we know that we're gonna be okay now. If
2: they didn't have the camp I don't know what I'd be doing right now. Life would be so much different you don't even know I don't even know where I'd be. This camp I think it did save those girls' lives. I think it opened up a door for them to be able to have someone precious, a family, and they can trust people and that people can love them unconditionally. I probably would have never trusted anyone, never loved anybody because I didn't know how until I saw it from these people. Every child that is in the foster care system needs an opportunity to be able to come to this camp and experience, if for no other reason, the love that is here. If I could, I would take every single one of them home.
4: just a drop in the bucket, you know, with just three kids that we can change. But if everyone felt the same way, I mean, We could make such a big difference in society.
3: Going into Royal Family, I knew that one week could turn a life around. These three lives were turned around, and they have hope. And I know there's going to be struggles, but they have hope now to have a normal life, and the abuse, the cycle has been stopped on these three.
4: Honestly, I can't think of life without them now. I wouldn't change it for the world.